Lord Jesus, we do trust you. We put all of our hope, all of our faith in you. We realize that our trust is a gift from you. And so we take the gift that you've given us, the capacity to believe you, and we lay it at your feet. We know that you're faithful in every way, that it is outside of your character to create a hope in your people and then to disappoint. You have given us hope, you've given us faith, you've given us trust, and you've given us every reason to cling to these realities and to know that you are God in the midst of every storm, in the midst of every trial, in the midst of all difficulty, all hardship, you are still God. You are glorious in every particular. Your beauty is beyond naming, beyond comprehension, beyond mentioning. You are God. We bow our hearts to you because you are worthy. And you have made us worthy of acknowledging your beauty, your worthiness, your goodness, your righteousness. What a joy it is to know that we can call your name, that we can know you that we can rejoice in you, that we can bask in the goodness of the great God, that we can lavish in your love and know that you are inexhaustible in your goodness. We bow our hearts to you, acknowledging that this is the highest privilege conceivable, to know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask you to bless us now, Lord. Cause your name to be glorious in the midst. Cause your praise to go forth. Let the name of Jesus be glorified. Let every knee bow. Let every tongue confess. Let every heart acknowledge that there is such an one as God. We extol you. We glorify you. We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise his holy name. It is great to see you this morning. I have a word from the great God and a reminder from the King of Kings. Every now and again, the Lord will leave the 99 and search out the one. I have a thought from God that preempts what I originally was going to speak. I never felt that I had the green light from God to speak what I had written because I felt that God was going to say something else. And sure enough, this morning, I just got the sense of what God was wanting me to say. So I'm just going to speak to you from my heart and try to help us in our worship, especially in uh, times that are considerably difficult. The message is entitled, Don't Pass Over the Passover. Don't Pass Over the Passover. 
Remember the scripture at one point says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And we realize that the Sabbath is more than the seventh day of the week. It has to do with a particular kind of rest. And that rest comes through the work of Jesus Christ. So we are to trust, as we sang, in Jesus. And that is what it means, ultimately, to keep the Sabbath. Now, the Passover was a celebration. And it was a celebration of God's covenant promise to deliver his people. God spoke to the children of Israel while they were in Egypt, and he told them in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their difficulty, that they should celebrate the covenant faithfulness of God. So the context of the very first Passover under the Mosaic law was contrary to what they were actually celebrating. The context was still Egypt. The context was still slavery. The context was still struggle. And yet God said in that context, he didn't say wait till you get to the other side of the Red Sea. He didn't say wait until you get into the Canaan land. He said in Egypt, while the promise is still in your bosom, even before it's entirely fulfilled, celebrate the covenant faithfulness of God. Celebrate the great deliverance that comes from God. Acknowledge the fact that God makes a promise and God keeps a promise. Amen. Now, before Moses instituted the Passover, there are types of the Passover in the life, for instance, of Abraham. You see it once or twice, once when Melchizedek comes to him, and Abraham is between two very serious trials, right? He's fighting on behalf of Lot on one side, and he's about to be tempted by the king of Sodom on the other side. And right in the midst of those two trials, he breaks bread with Melchizedek. And it's a kind of communion, a kind of Passover. But then there's another kind that I want to talk to you about this morning. And it is the time where God is about to bring judgment onto Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's in the 18th chapter of Genesis. And when you get home, you can take some time and really uh, look at that chapter and look at the context. But for now, let's just remind ourselves of one very specific passage that's right in the midst of that time of judgment, that time of trial, where God is coming to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's when God says to Abraham, at the time of life, I am going to come, and I am going to fulfill the promise that I made to you. And Sarah will bear a son. And the son would be named Isaac or laughter. Now, understand where 
Abraham is at this time in his life. He is elderly. His health is failing. His family is far from him. He's worried about his nephew, Lot, who was like a son to him. All of the promises of God that he lived for are still in the future. He's in a land that he doesn't know. He's a stranger in a strange land. And he is living in an era where God is expressing his judgment against the nations. And many of us can identify with Abraham on one of these things or the other or maybe even a few of those things. Some of us know what it is to be a stranger in a strange land. New things happening, the comfort and the stability of familiarity gone. Some of us know what it is to have a son or a daughter or a loved one that's lost. Some of us know what it is to uh, be aging or diseased or dealing with some of life's struggles. Some of us know what it is to go through those times of wonder and doubt, asking, did I really hear God? Did I really receive a promise or did I make it up in my own heart? God comes to Abraham and it begins with the Lord manifesting himself to Abraham and he is, Abraham is sitting under a tree. He's probably contemplating his life, probably looking at his family and thinking to himself, I, I brought my family out here years ago, decades ago, expecting something to happen. And here I am sitting under a tree. My family's still waiting, hoping, but they're losing faith, as you see in the text. And God comes. God visits him in a time of significant difficulty, a time of significant trial. And he says to him, in essence, this is where I want you. So Abraham recognizes by the presence of God that he is where he's supposed to be. And the awesome thing about it is in the midst of his struggle, and this is really important for us, there is a vision of God. That is to say that no matter what the issue is, no matter what the struggle is, God still makes himself plain. He still makes himself visible. He still makes it so that the persons involved can see God. And then he goes beyond that. He allows Abraham to provide a meal for him. So God comes. He manifests himself. You, you know the story. He's with the two angels. Abraham begs him to accept from his hand what little offering he has. So even in the midst of Abraham's trial, you see at least two things going on at the very beginning. One, he hasn't lost his capacity to discern the presence of God. And you and I can say the same thing. No matter what our struggle, no matter what our difficulty, when we come to a place like this, for instance, or in our ordinary life experience, in the midst of our most significant trials, we can still see God. We can still perceive his presence. 
Sometimes in one way, sometimes in another, but we can perceive his presence. Even the two disciples, you remember, on the Emmaus Road, where they couldn't see him physically, they didn't recognize him physically, yet they were still able to say, didn't our hearts burn within us when he spoke to us along the way? So on one level, they didn't see him. On another level, they did. And we can say the same thing, that in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our trial, no matter how intense that trial, there is still something in us that can perceive the presence of God. And there's still something in us that wants to serve him. I mean, that's what was going on with Abraham. And it wasn't a slight thing in Abraham. Abraham begged God to receive what little morsel he had to take from his hand. And usually in the case of trial, there is a desire to give up and to say, let me deal with what I have to deal with first, and then I can get back to my ordinary life of praise and worship and giving and so on. But when God is in the midst and there is something supernatural happening, when we choose to observe the Passover, that is to say, when we make up our minds that we're going to celebrate the fact that God is faithful, that God can be trusted, then there's something in us that no matter what we're going through, we have a strong desire to continue to serve him. We can see him when most people would look at us and say, how is it that you can still believe God, much less see him? We can see him and we desire to serve him. And this is what was going on with Abraham. He was able to perceive God and he desired to serve God. And then the Bible also says that he bowed down with his face to the ground in the presence of God. So this was a man who was able to see God, who had a desire to serve God, and who had a heart to worship God. Now I want to suggest to you that unless we make up our minds, now God gave them the Passover. They didn't earn the Passover. The Passover was not a psychological state of being. It was a gift from God that they had a responsibility to exercise. God gave them the capacity to trust him, the capacity to believe his promise, the capacity to know that God is faithful, that God will keep his word. And Abraham was able to see God. He was able to serve God and he was able to worship God from the very essence of his being. He fell down on his face before the great and the holy God. He maintained a spirit of worship. Right around the time when the enemy will usually come and say, are you sure God is who he said he is? And are you sure God is faithful? And are you sure he is worthy of your worship? There is something supernatural that happens in the heart and in the mind of the Christian person where we are reminded that God has invested in us a supernatural capacity to trust him irrespective of the circumstance, irrespective of the climate, irrespective of the context. 
Wherever we happen to be, we can still be worshipers. Remember what Jesus says, that the Father is looking for those who will worship him and in spirit and in truth. And so we make up our minds that we are going to rejoice in who God is, that we are not going to pass over the Passover, but instead we're going to worship God and we're going to believe him. Now, as Abraham is doing that, God speaks to him. And God says, where is Sarah, your wife? And he says, she's, she's in the tent. And God says, at the time of life, now, most people recognize that to be a, a, about a year. But let's just say for our purposes, God is saying, in due time, I am going to come and I'm going to do in your life exactly what I said I would do. Now, because Abraham decided that he would see God, that he would serve God, that he would worship God, he was able to hear from God. And he was able to hear God say to him something that God had already said to him, except now God was becoming a bit more specific. And he said, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham knew because of the circumstances of his life, because of the trials of his life, because of the difficulties of his life, he knew that he had no internal or inherent or personal capacity to see any of these promises fulfilled. So he understood it would have to be supernatural. You see, one of the blessings, if you will, of struggle, of trial, of hardship, is it reminds us that only God is able to cause his promises to flourish in our lives, not the strength of our own hand. So God begins to speak to Abraham and says, I am going to fulfill my promise in you. Now understand what's going on. This context is very important. God is judging the nations around him. But he's also blessing the nations around him. He's judging the nations with regard to Sodom, Gomorrah, Zeboim, Adma, and Zoar. But at the same time, he says, I'm going to give you a son. And he said something about this son earlier, which is he will be a blessing to the nations. And so one of the things Abraham is able to see as he's envisioning who God is and what God is like in the midst of his struggle is how God can bring blessing in the midst of hardship and how God can bring blessing even in the midst of judgment, how God can cause his blessing to go forth irrespective of what else happens to be happening. And so Abraham was able to recognize that God was making a promise in his life and he was saying in due time you are going to see the blessings and the benefits of everything that you're going to witness today because most of what he was going to witness that day was going to bring sorrow 
and was going to bring tears. Most of what he was going to witness that moment was going to bring hardship. And yet God in the midst of that hardship was saying, but I want you to celebrate a certain reality. I know it's difficult and it is too difficult for you. And so when God begins to say what he's going to do, Sarah begins to laugh and say, now at this stage in the in my particular chronological history, or we might say at this stage in the history of humankind, or at this stage in my particular life, now you're going to come? And God asks, why is Sarah laughing? Now, it's a strange thing because she's laughing what we might call a derisive laugh. It's almost as though God makes this wonderful promise, and then he reiterates that promise and Everything in her says, God is mocking me. So God says, why did Sarah laugh? You ever hear a time where, say you're going through one of your most difficult trials in life, things that seem insurmountable, unbearable, and somebody will come and say, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord, right? There's something in you that laughs, right? There's something in you that says, really? Right? So God comes and he says, I made a promise to you and I'm going to keep it. But he doesn't say right now. He says later. Now they've been hearing later for 25, 30 years. <laughs> and he's still saying later. But he's a bit more specific because he's saying at the time of life, around this time next year, or what well, we would say in due time, I'm going to come and I'm going to do something. Now, she laughs, so of course the Lord laughs by telling her that the child that she's going to have is going to be named laughter, right? Because that's what Isaac means. So ultimately, God gets the last laugh, right? So, so God says to her, I know you're going through a difficult time right now, and you probably think you'll never laugh again. I know you're going through a difficult time right now, and you think that life is leaving you. But I'm here to tell you that in due time, no matter what your struggle, because of the covenant promise of God, you will produce life. Life will come forth from you. You will do those things that you thought were long behind you. You will do those things that you thought, yeah, I held on to them when I was younger and I believed it now. I, or I held on to it at the early stage of this trial and I believed it, but now everything seems to be crashing to the ground and life seems to be fleeting from me. Remember, she was saying, I'm almost dead now. And now you're telling me I'm going to produce life when I'm almost dead. You know how it is sometimes you go through a trial and at the very beginning of the trial or, or in the early stages of the trial, you're holding on to hope and you're holding on to faith and you're expecting a miracle. And, and at the end, it seems like all the air has just left me. All the ruach, all the spirit, all the life is gone. 
But God says, in a little while, you're going to produce life. Might not look the way you expect it to look. It might not be what you hoped it would be. But in a little while, in due time, you're going to produce life. But not only that, remember Isaac's name was laughter. And sometimes you're going through the kind of trial that says, I just don't think I can ever smile again. I don't think I can ever laugh again because when I laugh, it reminds me of the laughter of this person that I lost. Or it reminds me of the laughter of the days gone by where I felt better or where I was stronger. Or it reminds me of the laughter that comes with hope for the future. And at this stage, I don't feel like I have any of those things. I feel like you're never going to laugh again. But I'm here to tell you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that in due time, you will laugh again. <laughs> Hallelujah. In due time, you will smile again. You will rejoice again. I'm not telling you that you're going to laugh today. Right? God wasn't telling Abraham or Sarah that they were going to have that child that day. But he said, in due time, you will have laughter. Not only that, not only life, not only laughter, but this man was going to be a means of blessing to the nations so he would be a vessel of liberty. God is going to use you to free somebody. God is going to use you to help Somebody. Sometimes it's through those trials where we become liberators because we can identify with those who are bound and we can identify with those who struggle. We can identify with the hardships of the people around us. None of us are exempt from trouble. None of us are exempt from struggle. We're all going to go through struggle, but being a liberator is a choice. Using those struggles to make you better is a choice. You and I can't choose whether or not we're going to go through a struggle. That's inevitable. Hardship is inevitable. Difficulty is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. But strength, hope, healing, liberty, life, love, these things are choices based upon choosing to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate the covenant faithfulness of God while we wait for the day that God promises. So that when those days come, we have a testimony. We can say, by the grace of God, I trusted God, and God fulfilled his promise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So there is a promise of life. 
There is a promise of liberty. There is a promise of laughter. There's also a promise of longevity. Now, in this case, longevity doesn't mean that Abraham is going to live another hundred years, but what it means is God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and so on and so on and so on all the way till you get to us. That is to say, when your struggles and my struggles are upon us, it seems like it's the end of days. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, it's just the beginning. Wow. Hallelujah. Because what we do is we produce a legacy. A legacy of hope. A legacy of trust. A legacy of perseverance and tenacity. Bible talks about a great cloud of witnesses as we run this race that's cheering us on and saying, keep on keeping on. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's all of those people who went before us, our mothers and our fathers in the faith, who are looking at us as their legacy, who are looking at us as their longevity. Jesus said, unless a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And your struggle in due time will not only produce life, but life that goes on and on and on and on and on and on from one person to another person so that each person has eternal life and they have contagious life. The kind of life that helps other people to live. That's what it means to be a blessing to the nations. In the midst of God judging the nations, he was promising a blessing to the nations. And one of the most wonderful aspects of Isaac's life, I think, is that beautiful love story between him and Rebecca. And sometimes you go through a trial, a difficulty, and you think, I'll never love again. There might be somebody in this house who's had their heart broken. Whether in a marital relationship, maybe you thought that somebody that you were with was going to be the person you spend the rest of your life with and it didn't work out. It might be a widow, a widower. Or maybe you lost a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, mother, or father. There's something in you that says, I'll never love like that again. But God makes a promise. And it's a difficult promise to cling to which is why we need the supernatural grace of God. But he says, you will love again. You will love again. In due time. In due time. It doesn't mean that you're going to forget the person that you lost. But it means you're going to see the bigger picture. 
And you're going to recognize that God's covenant promise is bigger than what we can see. There were things that happened through Isaac that Abraham never saw. But God wasn't saying to Abraham, wait until you get to the Canaan land to celebrate the Passover. But celebrate now. Now, when Jesus came, he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Because God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Abraham did ultimately see everything that God had promised. But in the moment and in his mortality, he had to see through the prism of the promise of God. He had to see everything through the prism of the promise of God. And you and I have been given a supernatural ability to see the end from the beginning. To see the fullness of God's faithfulness even from where we stand. Moses had not gone into the promised land but where he stood, he was able to look out and he was able to see the faithfulness of God's promise, the fulfillment of God's promise. And if you and I choose to celebrate the sacrifice, then we would recognize that this same Isaac would be the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, and so on and so forth, all the way until we get to Jesus. And we will remember that the love, the laughter, the life, the legacy, all of those things are trumped ultimately by this one abiding reality that Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Jesus. Abraham saw the Lordship of Christ. That is to say, he could see God. <coughs> Excuse me. Overseeing his struggle. He could see God supervising his struggle, orchestrating his struggle. Navigating his struggle. He could see that God could be touched with the feelings of his infirmities. Thank you. He could see that God bottles all of his tears. He could see that he was not alone. He could see that he was never left behind. Because he chose to celebrate the sacrifice, he could see the lordship of God. And he could understand when God said, not today, but in due time. Not today, but at the right time. Not today, but when it's appropriate. Not today but when it has the fullness of its power. 
the fullness of its fruition. Not today, but when it is the best time for you. God is going to show you that your life is not over. Hallelujah. That this difficulty is not going to overwhelm you. It's not going to destroy you. It's not going to destroy your faith. It's not going to destroy your hope. It's not going to destroy your love. It's not going to destroy your capacity to worship. It's not going to destroy your capacity to serve. It's not going to destroy your capacity to laugh. It's not going to destroy you. It's not going to take away your personality. It's going to strengthen you. It's going to empower you. It's going to cause a righteous desire to rise up in you, to celebrate the faithfulness of God in a way that you may not have been able to do prior to your struggle. A zeal in you to fight against the current that says, I'm going to praise God. I don't care. <laughs> Drink a little bit of water, cousin. <laughs> yeah. You can tell by the old clock it's time to get loud. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we saved the last five minutes. <laughs> but, but, but you understand my point of view. Everything in you begins to say, I'm going to fight this. Now, praise God. One of the things that I love about the Passover is they, remember the, the portion of scripture that says, God prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So they got a chance to enjoy the Passover in the face of Pharaoh. And to say to Pharaoh, you are not going to stop me from eating. To say to Pharaoh, you are not going to stop me from celebrating. They say to Pharaoh, you're not going to stop me from rejoicing. You're not going to stop me from testifying to the goodness of God. They say to Pharaoh, you're not going to shut my mouth. I am going to praise the Lord. I'm going to bless God. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we just got to get a little bit of fight in our backbone. And we have got to say, I am going to celebrate this sacrifice because I want to show that in the midst of my struggle, I can bless the Lord, I can praise the Lord, I can acknowledge God, I can worship God, I can live for God, and I will do that in the face of Pharaoh. I will say to the devil, you cannot stop me from praising God. Hallelujah. I will say to the devil, you cannot close my mouth. I will acknowledge God and I'm going to do it on what you think is your turf. Because heaven still belongs to God and the earth is still his footstool. This is still God's work. And for us as Christians, we simply acknowledge it. 
Brothers and sisters, I've seen my share of trials just like you have. And it seems like the more the trials come, the more vehement, more zealous I get in my praise. The more I choose to worship God, the more I choose to celebrate the sacrifice, the more I choose to flaunt it in the face of the devil and to say, I'm going to bless God, I'm going to praise God, and nothing and no one is ever going to stop me in this call on my life, and I will leave a legacy. I will have a testimony. I will continue to love. I will continue to live. I will continue to laugh. Nothing is going to stop me from doing the thing that God has called me to. That's for sure. So you and I have got to simply make up our mind. The Passover is a gift. And for us to observe the Passover is a gift. For us to celebrate the faithfulness of God in the midst of Egypt is a gift. In the midst of judgment is a gift. In the midst of struggle is a gift. And I want to pray with you this morning. Particularly if you're going through a fire seven times hotter. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're saying, I know God can heal. I know he can deliver. But even if he chooses not to, I've made up my mind. Remember, they said to Pharaoh, we don't have to deliberate this. We don't have to think about this. This is a choice that's been given to us in essence. I don't have to work that choice up because I couldn't work that choice up in my own strength. This is a choice that's been given to me. I choose to worship God, whether he heals, whether he chooses not to heal, whether he brings deliverance on this level or whether he allows me to go through this struggle. It doesn't matter to me. I'll say this last thing and then we'll go to prayer. There was a time in my life when I made up my mind that my life belongs to God. I'm going to celebrate God. And I don't care what repercussions come. I simply don't care. I don't care how hard the enemy fights. I don't care what he does. I don't care what he tries to do. It just doesn't matter me because my life is already laid down before the Lord hallelujah hallelujah and I'm going to praise God and I'm going to bless God and I'm going to worship God no matter what the circumstance no matter what the situation now that's not something that I have in myself right it's not inherent in us it's a gift it's given to us by the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and so, at a certain point, I said, I'm going to celebrate who God is. I'm going to prepare a table in his presence. And I don't care who it makes angry. Right? The children of Israel had to prepare a table in the presence of Pharaoh. Proclaiming 
in Pharaoh's presence that they were free. And they couldn't care less how it made Pharaoh feel. And we don't care how our proclamation of faith makes the devil feel. We've made up our minds to serve God. Now, if God is speaking to your heart, especially if you're going through a moment of difficulty, like I said earlier, God will leave the 99 and go for the one. You're suffering loss. And something in you says, I don't know if I'll ever laugh again, not the way I used to. Something in you says, it seems like the wind has just been knocked out of me. The life has been drawn from me. I'm not going to stand here and tell you that you're going to come to the altar and today everything's going to be all right. I'm telling you, you have the choice to trust God. And if you choose to, you can symbolize that by coming to the altar. But you can hear God say to you, when the time is right, you will find that you are still producing life. That you are still loving on people. That you are actually leaving a legacy. That laughter has not entirely evaded you, but you will laugh again. And above all, you will know the lordship of Christ. That is to say, you will know how Christ has navigated your struggle. And you'll see how he brought you through it. And you'll testify of it. You might not feel it right now, but in due time, you will. But what we will do right now is celebrate the fact that if God said it, it will come to pass. If God said it, it will come to pass. Amen. Spirit of Jesus, we acknowledge your goodness. We are making a declaration in the presence of all of our struggle, all of our difficulty, all of our hardship, that you are God who makes a promise and keeps a promise. That somehow or another, life will flow through us. And love and liberty and laughter. And we will embrace the Lordship of Christ. Things might not work out exactly how we plan or exactly how we want, but we know it will ultimately come together. On this side of eternity or on that side of eternity, we will see your glory. Abraham rejoiced to see your day. Lord, we ask you to lay your hand upon each person in this room. Especially to the one, Lord, to those who come to this altar. 
to those who are praying and saying, God, God, please, please, this time is more difficult than I can bear. The fire is seven times hotter than I've ever experienced. This is the worst pain that I could ever imagine. God, in Jesus' name, would you lay your hand upon that heart? And would you let your child know that you can be touched with the very feelings of their infirmities. That you're not a distant God. That you're not unfeeling, but you know what's best for us and you know the right time and you know the right thing. Holy Spirit of Jesus, we thank you for being God to us, for revealing your lordship to us. Now I pray for my brothers and my sisters. Peace. Peace. May the peace of God that passes understanding guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. We thank you for it and we bless you for it. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you.